Uh, The reading this morning is taken from Luke chapter 15, verses 1 to 2, and then from 11 to 31. The parable of the lost sheep. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them parable of the lost son. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, father give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare, and here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him, and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied. And your father's killed the fatted calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fatted calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. May God bless this reading to us. Amen. Thank you for that, Andy. And I'd now like to welcome back um, Bob. 
Let's all pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for Bob and his friendship with this family here. But Father, we thank you also that he is a servant of yours. And as he now comes to expound your word to us, we pray that through his words, you will speak deep into hearts. Father, anoint him, we pray, that we may learn of you, be touched by you, and respond to you. Bless him now. Amen. Amen. Thank you, uh, Brian. Right. Well, the story of the prodigal son, one of the best known of Jesus' parables. Um, it's interesting, isn't it? That parable that you've just heard, um, th the title to it is the either the lost son or the prodigal son, depending on what versions that you're, you're using. Um, and, uh, and indeed, the focus certainly in, in my Christian life has always been on the younger son. And yet, you know, when Jesus introduces that parable, if you look at verse 11 there, he actually introduces it simply with the words, a man has two sons. A man had two sons. And I think that is the setting. And so today, I, I want to change the emphasis a little bit on that parable um, and look at a situation where we have two lost sons and one very loving father. I think that's the, the real setting here. Uh, and so I want to explore that today. We're going to look at the three characters, the three characters, the father and the older son and the younger son. And I want to start with the, uh, with, with the setting for this parable. Because I think, although I'm preaching this parable to you today, because I want this parable to speak to you in your life in 2023, we do need to understand the setting. Uh, and so I want to spend a bit of time looking at the setting and then a, a bit at the characters. Um, I, I've been, I'm indebted to a, a book by Kenneth Bailey called The, the, the Cross and the Prodigal. And what's distinctive about this book is that this man spent 40 years living in the Middle East uh, and experiencing the, the village life that Jesus would have been experiencing 2,000 years ago. And the point he makes in that book is that actually village life uh, in the Middle East has changed very little over those 2,000 years. So, first of all, let's have a look at the setting that, we're, that, we're, that Jesus was speaking into. Uh, <clears throat> villages in the Middle East then and now, really, are made up of very, very small houses, small windows, very narrow streets or even paths uh, between them. Um, and it's quite likely that in a typical village in the Middle East that if you look down one of the paths, one of the roads, that all the people in that road would have been of the same family. So it gives you a, a feel um, as to what village life would be like. And something else about village life, I suppose, it, it's such a tight community, everybody knows everybody else's business. And, and Kenneth Bailey actually relates a very amusing thing when he, he was in one of these houses in a village house and he was having a discussion with a group of people in, in, the, in the house and somebody asked a question 
And the answer came from the house across the path. You know, it's, it was that sort of close-knit community that we are dealing with here. It's a community with very strong conventions, and it's one um, where very strong views about behavior and responsibilities. And this parable that Jesus related, really, is a parable about re um, <coughs> strained relationships. That's at the heart of this. Uh, this. It's got a, we've got a loving father and we've got two sons, um, but the relationships are, are strained. So first of all, let's just look at the younger son. Let's get a background on this younger son. And, and, and again, it's interesting, isn't it, that um, when, as I reflected on the younger son, we've got a situation in, in Britain in 2023. Do you remember Prince Harry's book, Spare?, well, I mean, in a sense, this, is, this gives you an insight, a little bit of an insight, on the situation of the younger son. Um, he, um, he, he wasn't the heir. Um, he wasn't going to inherit the estate. He was going to get a share of it. In those days, uh, at the time, uh, the elder son in, would get two-thirds and the younger son would get a third. So he would get a part of it, but he wasn't the main player uh, anymore. He was second fiddle just like Harry felt he was second fiddle. <clears throat> and and he, this, uh, this younger son, he was not concerned about relationships with his father or elder brother. He was, in effect, saying to his father, when he asked him for the, his part of the inheritance, he was saying to his father, I wish you were dead. Then I could have your money. But as you're not dead, can I have your money anyway? I mean, that's the, the essence of what he was saying to, to his, uh, his father. Now, in any society, that would be frowned upon. Uh, but in a Middle Eastern society, that would be considered outrageous. His father would have been, I guess, just heartbroken that his son was treating him in this way. Um, and I'm sure he would have tried desperately hard to dissuade him um, from, from this course of action. But the younger son was determined. He wanted his legacy, and he wanted to cash it in, and he wanted to go off. And we are told he went to a far country, a bit like Prince Harry, really, who went to California, didn't he? Yeah, so, I mean, you know, there are parallels here, certainly. So that's the younger son, and he's gone off. He's gone off to a far country. Now, the older son, um, we have to assume probably, was not part of this exchange. Uh, but I think we can be pretty sure that he would have been very much aware of it. Um, from what happened and what happens later in this story, we know that the relations between these two brothers were not good. Um, the older son, of course, knew that his future was secure. He had a place. He was going to inherit one day. And, um, and he was going to get his 67%. So we've got a son here who basically follows the rules. Now, I think he didn't seem to enjoy life very much from what we do when we look at the details of this story. But he followed the rules and he told, did what he was told and he waited for his time to come. Now, to, to grasp the full impact of this story, um, uh, we do need to recognize that 
Palestine then, and to some degree now, of course, was a very male-dominated society uh, to a far greater degree than we can perhaps imagine here. The women played little part in how the family was governed. And if the father was unable to carry out his duties or had problems, it was the role of the elder son to step in and help sort out the situation. And uh, <clears throat> so that, that's, um, that, that was his, his role. Now, please don't take from this that Jesus was a misogynist. He certainly wasn't. I mean, do bear in mind who was the first person to see the risen Jesus at, at Easter? It was a woman. Um, but Jesus is reflecting here the situation as he found it in the Middle East at that time. And <clears throat> so when, we, when there was a dispute in a family, for example, it would be the role of the elder son to step in and help sort it out. Now, there is no reference in this story anywhere to the elder son stepping in and being helpful, in fact, in any, in any sense at all. Here we have a dispute between a father and the younger son, and the elder son's responsibility was actually to be the reconciler. But he did not play that role. And... <clears throat> There is no reference to him fulfilling that role. In fact, he did not show any love towards his father or towards his brother. Towards the end of that parable, you might have noticed the words. Um, the elder son speaks to his father about slaving for him. This speaks much more, doesn't it, of a master-servant relationship than it does of a loving family relationship. The parable paints a poor picture of the younger son, certainly, but if one looks at the small print, one realizes that the elder son was also a very flawed character. He wanted the benefits of being the elder son, but not the responsibilities, and showed no love towards his father or towards his brother. So that's the elder son. What about the father? This is a man who clearly wanted a loving relationship with his two sons. And we see that throughout this parable. In Middle Eastern society, as we've said, the request of the younger son for his share of the inheritance um, was an outrageous request. And everyone listening to this parable would have expected the father to quite simply say, no, end of, end of debate. That was what patriarchs would have done in that society uh, at that time. I'm sure the father would have tried to talk the younger son out of his plan, but when that failed, as it very clearly did, he divided the property between them. From the father's actions later when he welcomed the, the younger son back, we realize that the father, his heart would have been broken by this situation with the younger son. But we have no indication of the, the elder son offering any support to his father at this time or trying to talk his brother out of the action. So, 
we're going to move on because the younger son, the story moves on and we have the situation where the younger son returns. And we're told quite simply that he went away, he spent his money, he fell on hard times. Why? Because there was a famine in the land where he had gone and his money had run out. Why did he decide to come back? Was it out of concern for his father or his elder brother? No, he came back because he was hungry. He was hungry and he wanted food to fill his belly. belly. He makes a big, big decision. And he says to himself, I'm going to confess to my father (coughs) that I have sinned. Uh, and, I'm, and I'm going to offer to become a tradesman. That's basically the offer. So I can pay off my debt to him. He's realizing what, something of what he's done. But I think his main motivation is hunger. And we are told that his father sees him in the distance. And you get that impression. Don't you? The impression that probably every day the father would be going out and looking where his son had gone and just having a look to see if there was any sign of him returning. Well, on this day, he sees him. Now, coming back to village life again at that time, there can be no doubt that the expectation of everyone in the village is that the younger son would be forced to grovel. He would be forced to walk through that tightly knit village and he would be mocked and he would be humiliated. And when he finally got to to his father's house, his father would continue the process. That was the, that's what patriarchs did. That's what villagers did at that time. That would have been the expectation. The younger son knew that when he was coming home, it would not be a happy experience. That's what the expectation was. But at least he would have some food. That's probably the the, the state of mind he would have been in. But you see, the father confounds everybody. He did what no patriarch would ever do. When he saw his son in the distance, He picked up his gowns, held them up, and he ran through the village and out to the hill to meet his son. Absolutely unheard of in the setting of the time. And it says further, he picked up his garment, ran to greet him, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. He put his best robe on him, put a ring on his finger, and ordered his servants to arrange a feast to celebrate his return. And you might notice something else. The son did not even manage to finish his confession. He started it, but before he'd even finished, the father was lavishing gifts upon him. Now Jesus' listeners 
would have been as astounded as everybody else is a part of this, this story. But we get a glimpse here of the amazing grace of God. As we, see, as we see this, we don't see a typical Jewish patriarch. We see God's grace in action. This is the grace that God offers in Jesus Christ to those who are willing to accept his offer. This is the grace that God is offering to the tax collectors and the sinners who, if you remember from the early verses of this, were listening to this story. This is the grace that, that, that Jesus um, was offering to them. But what about the elder son? He has been out in the fields, and I think we can assume probably not doing the work himself, but making sure other people did the work. Um, he returns to hear the celebration getting underway. A servant tells him what has happened, and he refuses to join the party. Simple as that. But again, the father did again what no patriarch would ever done, have done. He came out and he pleaded with his elder son to come and join the party. But the elder son simply tells him how much he resents the fact that the father has put on a party for these, this wayward younger son. The elder son has no desire to please his father and he's got even less desire to welcome his brother back again. There's no love here, no grace, just pride really at his self-righteousness. And then of course, we might, you might remember that it wasn't just the tax collectors and the Pharisees who were listening to Jesus uh, at the, uh, in those opening verses. It was the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. They were also listening in. Now, we know from elsewhere in the scriptures that Jesus had very harsh words to say about the Pharisees. Remember the seven woes from Matthew, which he declared over them? Matthew 23. You see, the, the Pharisees, they followed the law but they had no love for the sinners who Jesus was prepared not only to greet, but to eat with. Jesus accused the Pharisees, quite simply, of loving the place of honor. The Pharisees, you see, and the, and the teachers of the law would have seen in Jesus' story that Jesus was pointing to them and seeing them in the character of the older son, proud and self-righteous. Now, the story finishes, of course, with the elder son still refusing to join the party. We are left with a picture of someone who was proud of the fact 
that he was not a sinner like his wayward brother and therefore did not need the loving grace of his father. He was the elder son and he would stand on his rights. So you see, at the end, as we come to the end of this story, this is a story about two brothers who were both sinners, but they sinned in very different ways. The younger son squandered his wealth, we are told, in wild living. It is very easy, is it not, to stand in judgment over the younger son. Very easy. The elder son was law-abiding, but was proud of his goodness and showed no sign of any love. He was, if you like, a religious man and could not grasp how his father could be so gracious to the younger brother. Both James, the Gospel of James and 1 Peter say very simply, God opposes the proud. And the elder brother was proud of his good deeds, especially when compared to his younger brother. Some of you may have heard of a, a Christian writer called Timothy Keller, um, who wrote a book called The Prodigal God, uh, based on this parable. And he draws a, a very helpful distinction, I believe, between religion on the one hand and the gospel of Jesus Christ on the other hand. Religion, he says, operates on the basis of I obey, therefore I am accepted. I obey, therefore I am accepted. But not the gospel of Jesus Christ. When we accept Jesus, we can say from the heart, I am accepted by Jesus, by God through the work of Jesus Christ. Therefore, I obey. Do you see the distinction? The acceptance of Jesus comes first, the obedience comes later. And you see, we have a great paradox in this story. <clears throat> we can all agree on the sins of the younger son, and yet it was he who was able to accept his father's grace. Let's face it, he is the one in the party. And indeed, the party is in his honor. We can hope that in the end, the elder son decides to join the party. But he did not think he needed his father's loving grace. He had been, after all, the law-abiding one. His father owed it to him to do what he wanted to do, which certainly did not include a feast for his brother. See, this is one of Jesus' great parables, and it was spoken to challenge people. Where do we stand? Are you, am I, relying on my law-keeping to secure my place in the kingdom of God? Or am I looking to the grace of God in Jesus Christ? 
See, this parable challenges us to make sure it's God's grace that we are relying on. And not our best efforts, which will always, always fall short. As I was uh, considering this sermon, a testimony that I can myself actually came to mind. It reminds me of the time I came to faith, which was over 40 years ago now, um, and I had been searching. I, I was an economist by training, a very secular, very secular uh, thing, and uh, I'd sort of left, I'd left Jesus Christ behind in my youth as something no longer relevant to my life. Well, I'd reached the point, actually, where I was realizing the emptiness of the secular world and the need, and my need, to find something of, of deep worth. Um, and I was beginning, I was looking in all sorts of funny places. I even started looking in the New Age. Um, and I was beginning to read some Christian books, particularly influenced by C.S. Lewis. Um, and... On this particular occasion, I, I, I used to work for Shell before I went into the ministry in, in the oil industry. And I'd, I'd been in Aberdeen, where the Shell base was, and I was flying back on the plane to Gatwick. Um, and I think I'd been reading, C I had been reading C.S. Lewis. I think it was his book, Mere Christianity, I was reading that time. Um, but when the plane actually landed at Gatwick, I, I still, I, I, was, I was on the fence. I wasn't quite sure whether this Jesus stuff was really, was, was really that, that was right or not. But you know, as I stepped out of the plane, as I stepped down those steps that day, I had a, an overwhelming realization that the gospel of Jesus Christ was true. Um, and, and that's, you know, and, and I, I was... I was overwhelmed, I was shocked, and, and, uh, but all the doubts that I'd had before then just fell away. And, and notice something else, that I, my understanding of the Christian faith at that time was still pretty limited, and there was no righteousness check. When I stepped out on that, on that there was no, now, now Robert, now let's have a look at this. Now, if you sort out your life in these areas, A, B, C, and D, um, we might have a place for you in the kingdom. There was nothing of that, nothing of that at all. I had a very limited understanding of repentance at that time, but I knew that the Christian faith was real and that Jesus was real. And something else happened after that. Um, prior, when I was reading about the Christian faith, prior to this incident, I had tried to be law-abiding. You know, I, I made an effort and um, tried to be law-abiding. But, you know, after that time, being law-abiding became something I wanted to do. After I'd met Jesus that time on those steps, I wanted to do it. Now, certainly not suggesting I always did what I was supposed to do, um, and none of us is perfect, but I did have a desire in my heart to do uh, 
what the law were required of me, the Ten Commandments and, and what have you. There was a desire there to please Jesus. That's what it came down to. Now, as I look out upon you today, there may be some of you here who relate particularly to the younger son. And possibly even feeling there have been things in your life which are maybe even unforgivable. But I would simply say to you today, and particularly maybe if you've suffered from addictions and therefore you've been doing things that you've known are wrong and you've not been able to do anything about it, maybe then you do relate to the younger son. But I would just simply say to you, it's not too late. It's not too late. Remember the grace that the father showed to the younger son. And be amazed like the younger son was. But I suspect that many of you here today would relate more to the elder son. And I have to say to you today, if that is the case, if you are people, if some of you are here relying on your law-abiding good ways to get you in the kingdom of God, then you'll have the same problem as the eldest son. It is by the grace of God that we are saved through faith. Not of ourselves, it is the gift of God. Not by works, not by what we do, so that no one can boast. It is through what Jesus has done on the cross for us that we are saved, not by our best efforts. Our obedience to Jesus is certainly real, but it's our response to his grace to us. It's not the vehicle by which we're saved. Well, if there's anything that I've said or anything that's come to you at this service, then uh, as Brian has already said, you're welcome to come and speak to myself or Brian or the, or the team uh, of people today. I think it is an important message that comes through this parable. Um, and, and I think it is better to actually balance it up and look at all three characters rather than just to focus on the prodigal son. So I'm going to finish. I'm going to invite the music group back. And I'm going to invite them to lead us in amazing grace. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found was blind but now I see and those words were written by John Newton who was a slave trader in his earlier life and he recognized the grace of God that had saved him let's just sing
Amazing grace. What a what a, a thing to just consider. Um, Newton, in fact, the amazing grace for him. He was a, a seasoned sailor, and he wasn't a Christian. He wasn't religious even. Um, but being a seasoned sailor, he was carrying out <coughs> his his cargo of human misery. And despite being a seasoned sailor, he he was about to have his ship founder. And he could not do anything in his own um, worth to save it. He had tried every trick. He used to be in the Navy. He could not do anything to save the ship. And despite being non-religious, he cried out to God, have mercy on me. And the grace of God came to that man at that point in time. He was saved and he went on to influence Wilberforce to stay in Parliament and actually do good in abolishing slavery. So grace, it can bring wonders to you and life to you and who knows, through you, other things also. Let us pray. Father of all, we give you thanks and praise that when you were far off, you met us in your son and brought us home. Dying and living, he declared your love, gave us grace and opened the gate of glory. May we who share Christ's body live his risen life. We who drink his cup bring life to others. We whom the spirit lights give light to the world. Keep us firm in the hope that you have set before us so that we and all your children may be free and the whole earth live to praise your name through Christ our Lord. And now we're going to close our service. Uh, may the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit go with you this day and every day.